Good morning. As G said, my name is Shad, and I serve as the lead pastor to our new Every Nation Church plant in downtown Austin, which is Family Life Austin. If you didn't know, this church is a part of a bigger body called Every Nation, where we kind of exist to do three things, which is campus ministry, world missions, and church planning. And so on behalf of myself and my wife, Caress, who's here with me, um, she serves with me. She keeps me in line um, with all the stuff that we have going on. I just want to say thank you all so much for having us here this morning. And so if you are visiting today, my prayer is that you would make this church your church. Because as you come into this church, a church is just not a building. A church is a people and a church is a family. And so we really want you guys to really consider making this church a part of your spiritual family. And speaking of family, I want to thank my family who's here with me today, my mom and my dad and my brother and my sister. I love you all so much and thank you all for coming. So as the old saying goes, blessed is the man who is short-winded, for he will be invited back to preach. So I'm going to go ahead and get started. For those of you who can, would you all stand to your feet as we come for our scripture reading today? As G said, we can read it in joy, knowing that the Cowboys lost this week. Our scripture reading comes from Romans chapter 3, verses 9 through 30. You can open up your Bibles to that now. If you do not have a Bible, you can use your phone. I won't be insecure and think that you're texting. I'll just think that you're reading the scripture. And if you have neither, you can look on these amazing screens because technology is amazing. And it reads as this. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged that all, both Jews and Greeks, are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asses under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood, and their paths are ruin and misery, and the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. Now, whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law, so that every mouth may be stopped and that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight, since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. But now, the righteousness of God has been made manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe. For there is no distinction, for all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God, and are justified by his grace as a gift through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus, whom God put forward as the propitiation by his blood to be received by faith. This was to show God's righteousness because in his divine forbearance he passed over former sins. It was to show his righteousness at the present time so that he might be just and a justifier of the one who has faith in Jesus. Then what becomes of our boasting? It is excluded by what kind of law? By a law of works? No, but by the law of faith. For we hold that one is justified by faith apart from the works of the law. Or is God the God of the Jews only? Is he not the God of the Gentiles also? Yes, of the Gentiles also, since God is one who will justify the circumcised by faith and the uncircumcised through faith. This is the word of the Lord. You may be seated. If you are taking notes this morning, today's message is entitled, The Gospel is for Everyone. Again, the gospel is for everyone. So today, as we find ourselves in the book of Romans, there is good news and there is bad news about this particular sermon title. We'll start off with the good news. The good news is that the sermon title is true, that the gospel is indeed for everyone. And to that, we should all say amen. amen. 
Now, the bad news is that we're coming out of the book of Romans. And if you ever read the book of Romans, the book of Romans can be a really intense read, and I suspect that many of you may look like this after reading the first nine chapters of it. <laughs> Even the Pope looks stressed about it, right? No, the bad news is, is that not everybody is going to believe that the gospel is for everyone, and because of that, we won't see the gospel played out in our day-to-day lives beyond our initial confession. This is actually bad news, but here's some good news. See, over two years ago, I was getting ready to propose to my now wife, Caress. See, her and I were sent as missionaries with other Every Nation pastors and leaders to Christ Church, New Zealand, and it was there, after I did all of my Jesus work, of course, first, <laughs> that I decided to take advantage of the moment and propose to her in the mountains in New Zealand. Here's a picture of it. You see me with perfect form, 90-degree angle. <laughs> Pretty impressive myself. I did drop the ring because I was nervous. Um, this is Caress, totally shocked. And this is my friend, Dan, who wants to plant a church in El Paso. And he just really just messed up the picture because he was supposed to be taking pictures and he's in it. I show this picture because I want to always remind Caress that no man in the world was ever able to pull off a proposal like this and that I'm as good as she's ever going to get. <laughs> See, Christ Church in New Zealand is a special place for Caress and I, not just because of the beautiful moment that was there, but the good news that I proclaimed that day that I wanted to marry her and be with her for the rest of my life. See, it was also good news to my mama and my sister because they knew that I had been in 26 other weddings as a groomsman before this moment. So they knew somebody finally wanted to marry me. <laughs> See, I was kind of like the male version of 27 dresses, just 27 tuxes, just with a black man starring in it. That's how it kind of worked out. <laughs> See, Caress and I had never heard of Christ Church New Zealand, more or less would have never thought about going, but it's a place that we'll never forget because of the good news that I proclaimed that day. But on March 15, 2019, many people heard of Christ Church New Zealand for the first time, and it was not good news. It was actually very bad news. See, it was a bad news because of a horrendous terrorist attack that occurred at a local mosque there during a Friday afternoon prayer service. And to make matters worse, the attackers actually live-streamed it on Facebook for the entire world to see. And it was in that moment, I believe, that the world was reminded of this one thing, whether we want to believe it or not, and that is evil exists. And not only does evil exist, it exists inside of us as people, see? So it doesn't matter whether it was the mosque shooting in Christ Church or last year in Sri Lanka on Easter, the church that was bombed, or Jewish synagogue that was bombed last year, or all the shootings that have happened in El Paso, Dayton, Ohio, the list goes on and on. Or if that's a little bit too intense for you, maybe the road rage you had this morning rushing into church so you can get that perfect parking spot. We see that there's something wrong in the world, and what's wrong is that there's something wrong inside of us. See, we actually lack world peace because we lack peace in and of our own hearts. Because we are a people that believe that we are better than people that we work our lives with, that we live with. We even think sometimes that we're better than the person we're currently sitting next to. Please don't look at them. <laughs> and all of this, once again, is just a reminder that we are extremely flawed as people. It's at the core of every human's heart that says, I desperately want to be seen and known and valued by somebody, even if it comes at the expense of their life or even their character. And in the same way, when we look at the book of Romans, we find a man named Paul who knew all too well about the evil in humans' hearts because he had to come face to face with the evil that was within his own heart. 
See, once named Saul of Tarsus, Paul was a Jewish rabbi to a religious group called the Pharisees in which he basically studied the Torah, which we would consider to be the first five books of our now Christian Bible. And Paul saw newly converted Christians as both blasphemers of the truth and less than equal to him as a Jewish man. But he, they weren't less than equal to him as much as they were that God used them as the people that actually exposed his insecurities, which was the fact that he wanted to kill Christians. Well, sometime after that, Paul had his own personal conversion experience with Jesus where he came to realize that the same gospel that was available to everyone was actually available to him even as a murderer. See, around 41 AD, a Roman emperor by the name of Claudius actually expelled all Jewish people from Rome. And it was then that Gentiles actually began establishing their customs within Rome. Well, about five years later, those once expelled Jews were actually allowed back into Rome. And it was then, if you can imagine, extreme amounts of both religious and political tension within the city of Rome. So a key problem within the culture of Rome when this book was written was not amongst unbelievers, but amongst believers. Again, it wasn't amongst, unbe it wasn't amongst unbelievers, it was amongst believers. So these seemingly conservative and liberal followers of Jesus were at odds with one another about not only how culture should be run, but how the church should function. But I don't think we've seen anything like that here in America, right? Liberals and conservatives fighting about what the church should look like or who should be politically in power. Well, although this was a problem to some, Paul saw this as an opportunity. He thrusted himself into the culture to actually unify the Jewish and the Gentile believer. And he was motivated to do so because of the lament that was within his heart. See, many of times when the book of Romans is actually preached, it's preached almost out of anger, out of frustration, and it's always preached to people who don't believe in Jesus. But this particular book was actually written to believers. And Paul was basically saying, hey, guys, I know that you think you're both following me and love me, but you actually really don't. And though this preaching caused tension within the city, it actually caused God's real church to begin to rise up. Because when a heart is transformed by the gospel, it's not just transformed to do religious duties. Yeah. It's not just transformed to pray and to serve and to give, and all of those things are great, but a transformed heart will always reflect a transformed life. And this is where we find ourselves in chapter 3 today, where Paul is essentially declaring then what I want us to hear today, and that is the gospel is meant for us, but it is not from us. Again, the gospel is meant for us, but it's not from us. And I have two points that proves this. Number one, our sin. And number two, God's righteousness. So number one, our sin. If you can't tell, I'm a pretty direct person, so I'm just going to get to the point. Our sin is the reason why you and I today don't believe that the gospel in its entirety is for everyone. Our personal sin, not the sin of anybody else, but our personal sin is the reason why we don't believe that the gospel in its entirety is for everyone. And not only is this bad news, I would submit that this news is evil. It's actually the evil that Paul was talking about in this particular chapter that reigns in each and every one of our hearts. And he says this, starting off in verse 9. What then? Are we Jews any better off? No, not at all, for we have already charged at all. Both Jews and Greeks are under sin. As it is written, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. Essentially, Paul is saying that no person is better than the other, that even though he is a Jew, that he is no better than the Gentile, and the Gentile is no better than the Jew. Now, this word righteousness for time purposes can be defined as one who is in right standing with God. Now, for you and I to be in right standing with God would mean that we would have to have the perfect moral character of God himself. 
Now, I want to ask a seemingly logical question that I know we all know the answer to, but for clarity purposes and for us to be able to move forward, I want to ask, is there anybody in the room who's perfect? Okay, nobody's Jesus, so we're not worshiping each other. That's good. So now that we can all agree that no one is perfect, then we can all say that none of us are righteous or good people on our merit alone. And I want to be very clear about something, and it may be sobering to hear, but you are not a good person without Jesus. I am not a good person without Jesus. None of us are a good person without Jesus. And if you are upset about that, please take it up with God because it's in the Bible. Don't take it up with Pastor Chris or Casey afterwards or the church, and don't take it up with me because I'll be on my way to Austin. All right? As the old saying goes, like, whatever I mess up, it's y'all's job to clean up. All right? Again, I'm not righteous on my merit alone. You'll find that out over the next 27 minutes. Or if you know me, you know that. Or if you're in the group text that I am with some of the guys here, you would know I'm not righteous. <clears throat> your big mama, your oma, your grandma, your grandpa who baked you all the perfect sweets for Thanksgiving, as sweet as they are, they're not righteous on their merit alone. Sad news, not even your beloved pastor, my friend, Pastor Chris, even though he is way holier than I am, but again, that's not saying much if you know me. He is not righteous on his merit alone. Not even the Pope is righteous on their merit alone. I mean, you saw how convicted he was by reading Romans, right? <laughs> the social media activists are the social justice warriors who liberal ways try to help the world but aren't biblical. They're not righteous on their merit alone. The overly political and conservative politician or war veteran is not righteous on their merit alone as much as we honor them. When you compare their sacrifice to the one who sacrificed his life for all, it fails in comparison. They're not righteous on their merit alone. The good Samaritan who helped the old lady cross the street with the three-legged dog that you passed by, rushing by them to get that perfect parking spot today, they're not righteous on their merit alone. Nobody is righteous on their merit alone. And to make matters worse, Paul goes on and he keeps pouring salt in the wounds of the egos of those believers in Rome by saying this. He says, no one seeks for God. And like the Jewish and Gentile followers of that day, many of us may think that we're seeking God when we're just seeking the blessings of God. See, we want the gifts, but not the gift giver. We want the created thing, but not the creator. And I think we're all guilty of that. And Paul goes on to say this, that no one, again, seeks for God. So I know that we may think that we're good in comparison to Hitler or even the shooters in Christchurch, but when we compare ourselves to an almighty, holy, and righteous God, none of us are good. And if anyone inherently thinks that we are good as a people, then what I would like for you to do is at the end of service today, I would like you to find a leader and say, hey, I want to volunteer for City Kids for all three services for all of 2020, and tell me what you feel about that afterwards, <laughs> right? You guys seeing all the kids coming in? They're so cute and precious, but they're not always God's little angels. Unfortunately, they sin too. Nobody is in the back right now telling your kids to yell the word mine as they're snatching toys from their friends, right? Nobody's teaching them that. See, the only reason why they would ever make that statement is because that statement has been deeply embedded in their hearts before they were even able to say their first words. Or they've learned to display those type of actions because how we treat each other as believers in the church. And although this may be a funny concept, it's not a funny concept when we begin to treat each other like this. So I will use myself as an example to cut the tension in the room. In my own personal arrogance, I have found myself many of times thinking that I am more righteous than my wife. See, when we got married, and still today, and some of you who've been married way longer than me are going to be like, boy, you are dumb. Why would you even do this? But it's true. 
See, I thought it was my job to disciple my wife in the ways of the Lord because I was the head of the household and in a ministerial position. But needless to say, I found out pretty quickly that that didn't work out too well in my favor. <laughs> Don't work out when you got a black wife, too. You know, they been... <laughs> it definitely didn't work out either when I broke my leg this past year. My every request was at the helm of her saying yes, even though I was treating her this way. And it doesn't look cool when I have to have another surgery on Tuesday again and my every request is still at the helm of her saying yes when I still think about her like this at these times. See, I found myself thinking I was better than her because I did certain religious duties differently than her, like getting up early in the morning and praying while she was still asleep and wondering, like, why aren't you up praying? Or praying longer than she did. Funny enough, the only person who was still stressed after all the praying was me. And the only person who would ever think that... They're more righteous, that I would be more righteous than my wife is me, but that's what sin does to you. It blinds you to the fact of you thinking that you're better than somebody else. And I remember one day while I was up early doing my religious things as the man of the household, I was listening to a sermon, and I felt like God was talking to me through the words of the guy who was preaching. It kind of went like this. I kind of felt like God said, hey, Shad. And I was like, yes, it's me, your humble servant. <laughs> up early while Caress is asleep. He's like, yeah, I want to talk to you about caress. I'm like, yeah, it's time for you to put some conviction in her heart, right? Start praying harder. And he said, hey, you know all of those religious things that you criticize her about, about how she hears from me and how she follows me? That's the same way that I chose to speak to her to tell her that she should marry you. And it was in that moment I was kind of shocked, and I did begin to question God even heard more because I was like, why was somebody so great? Ever want to be with somebody like me? But you get what I'm saying? It's so easy for us to think that we're better than somebody else just because they follow God maybe differently than us. Why? Because I hadn't let the gospel transform my heart beyond my initial confession. And Paul actually goes ahead and proves this by actually exposing Basically, the Jews and Gentiles' words, their deeds, and their actions in just a few verses. And I'll allow you guys to read it as I explain it. He says that their throat is an open grave. Why? Because of the lies that they tell daily. He said that their words kill people because their words are like the venom that is found in an African viper. That when they speak, it puts curses on people and it actually literally kills their soul. He said that their feet move to perform deeds that leads them and others into a path of destruction. And they don't have peace in their heart because they don't have God in their heart. So they don't give off a peace to anybody else in Rome. And sadly today, I would say that we are no different. This is our sin. So I don't mean to be so direct, but if I can be, I want to ask, is this you? Is this your sin nature? When you look at the words that you speak about others, the actions that you have towards others, or if you're really religious and you've been to church for a long time, the thoughts that you have about others, but you don't think anybody sees them, but God does, is what Paul's saying a reflection of your character? If so, I would pray that you would not feel condemned, but you would be like Paul and that you would mourn over the fact of this. Now, for others of you, you may say, no, this is not me. I'm, I'm not like that. For that, I would say, why are you so quick to say no? Could it be that the very question that I'm asking about is just exposing even more your character? Because I would submit that the area that you are most sensitive about your life is probably the area where sin has its greatest hold within your life. 
It is probably the area where you begin to justify the ways that you or I feel about God and begin to try to impose that on other people. And this is where we begin to make up ideologies about God that are not even biblical or scriptural. And to make matters worse, Paul doesn't let up. He just keeps going. And he says that our understanding about God, yes, no one understands. Matter of fact, the only true concept that we have about God can be found in verse 20 when he says this, for by the works of the law, no human being will be justified in his sight since through the law comes the knowledge of sin. So translation, simply put, nobody will ever be made in right standing with God by their moral character. And the more that you study the law of God, the more that you should see yourself as a sinner in the midst of God. Again, the more that you study the law of God, the more that you pray, the more that you read, the more that you serve, you should see yourself as unholy in the midst of God. And if you do not see that, then the question I have for you is what gospel are you following? Because it can't be the gospel of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. It has to be what I call the narcissistic gospel, which is me, myself, and I. And this is bad news. And not only is this bad news, it's because we don't see the sin in ourselves. And because we cannot see the sin in and of ourselves, and because we fully don't understand God, then we need somebody else's form of righteousness to actually not just show us who we are not, but redeem us from our current state where we are right now. And that leads me to my second point, which is God's righteousness. Romans 3 and 21 starts off by saying two words, and they are, but now. Can somebody say, but now? But now. Come on, say it with your chest like Kevin Hart. Say, but now. But I wanted you to say but now because but now may be two of the most important words that you hear today because what something currently is is not necessarily what it will be. What you're facing, the trials that you're going through, the pain that you're experiencing, or the conviction of your sin is not necessarily what it will be because these two words are for somebody who feels like they've sinned so much, even by the sins that they've committed, either by omission or commission, even maybe some of the sins that you've committed last night or this morning, that you believe that your situation can't change. But what God is saying to you today were the words that were spoken by Paul then, but now. But now the righteousness of God has been made manifested apart from the law, although the law and the prophets bear witness to it. The righteousness of God through faith in Jesus Christ for all who believe, for there is no distinction. See, despite our sin and despite our flawed righteousness, we have a new righteousness according to this scripture that we can put our trust in. And it is not the righteousness of me, it is not the righteousness of you, it is not the righteousness of this church, it is not the righteousness of our ideological or political beliefs, it is of the righteousness of God, and that righteousness can only be found in the person of Jesus Christ. And according to this scripture, this righteousness has no distinction to whom it is extended to. And so some of us in here today, and myself included, need to be reminded that God did not leave us in charge to determine who the gospel was for. God's righteousness looks like, was, and still is Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection that was put on display for the entire world to see. Because if we truly believe that God's power still exists, then we should truly believe that God can transform anybody's life. And one of the most polarizing figures that we're having trouble with recognizing this is this man named Kanye West. I don't know if Kanye is saved. I hope that he is. My college teammate is his bass player on tour with him. He says that he is. Cool. It really doesn't matter. But what I do know is that if for one moment we don't believe that God can transform somebody's life through his power, then we don't believe anything in the book of Romans about Paul. And if you do not believe that, then I would submit that there is something in your life that believes that you are saved by your works. So either you don't believe in the power of God or you believe that you have to do something to earn God's love. 
and I'm a product of this transforming power because I grew up right here in the city of Houston, and when I got to college, I said, I'm not going to let school get in the way of my college experience, which means I partied like crazy. I did whatever I wanted. Sorry, Mom, you already know. (laughs) I lost my everlasting mind when I went to college. But it was the power of God. It was actually Jesus' former teammate who came to me and started preaching to me about the gospel. And in one moment, my life was changed. And I started preaching the word, and people started getting baptized and saved. And I am a product of God's power. And so I hope that we believe that God's power still exists. Because it's not about Kanye. I love what my wife says is that truth can exist without a vessel. We have put so much emphasis on where the truth is coming from instead of the truth itself. The truth of God stands alone. We are just vessels by which we communicate it. This is why, again, that the gospel is meant for us, but it is not from us. And praise be to God that it's not from us, because if it was from us, it would be man's another religious attempt to try to reach from God. But he said, your sins are too far apart, so I'm not going to try to get you to reach me like every other religion. I'm going to come in the form of Jesus to save you. And this is why Paul now says this very familiar scripture that all of us know about, and it's this in verse 23. For all have sinned and have fallen short of the glory of God. Now, in preparation for this sermon, I decided to study the word all in both the Greek and the Hebrew, and I came to find out that the word all still means all. (laughs) Don't matter what language you, you read it in, it all means all. And since all of us has fallen short of the glory of God, then all of, the, all of us need the glory of God each and every day to save and redeem us, not from other people, but from ourselves. And this is grace. This is good news. And this is what true righteousness is. True righteousness is the revelation of God's righteousness towards mankind. Again, true righteousness was God revealing himself in the form of Jesus to you and I. And this is good news. And this type of revelation gives us what I believe a different type of hope for us to move forward as believers, and that is God's righteousness gives us a new status, God's righteousness gives us a new family, and God's righteousness gives us a new future. So number one, God's righteousness gives us a new status. Because of this new status that we have and what Jesus has done, you and I don't have to be perfect anymore. This is good news in a world that tells us be perfect at your job, be perfect at home, be perfect here, be perfect here. God says you don't have to be perfect to be in a relationship with me. All you have to do is admit that your righteousness is flawed and you exchange your flawed righteousness for my righteousness. And at the end of this passage, when it says God imputes his righteousness, it basically means he puts who he is on you. And at that moment, you're saved. Not because of what you can do, because of what God has done, and that is good news. Because if you couldn't do anything to earn your salvation, that means you can't do anything to lose it. So you're saved because of Jesus, and that's it. And one of the most beautiful descriptions, I believe, in the Bible is when you look in the book of Revelation, you should read it. The Bible actually says you get a blessing for reading it. Just read it. You ain't got to understand it. Just read it. But it says this, it says that, it talks about when Jesus, is, when Jesus comes back. And Jesus is not going to look like many of the pictures that we see where he has like this perfect wavy perm and these ice blue eyes or anything like that. It actually says that when he comes back that he's going to have fire in his eyes. That there's going to be swords coming out of his mouth. And it says on the inside of his thigh there's going to be this inscription that we don't know what it is. I'm like, maybe Jesus came to Houston to get tatted up. I don't know. But what I do know is this, is that the scripture right after this says that his followers will be wearing fine white linens, but that his robe will be dipped in blood. 
And if you understand this, you would know how powerful that means. So that means that when you step forth to God, and he says, on what basis are you allowed into heaven? Jesus steps up and says, hey, they get to wear my righteousness, but I wear their sin for all of eternity. That his robe is dipped in blood so that when we see Jesus face to face, we will worship him because we will see our sin and we would know that we don't deserve this type of status. See, God's righteousness gives us a new status. Number two, God's righteousness gives us a new family. Because all of us know that we fall short of the glory of God, then we all know that we need the glory of God daily. So we shouldn't have any time or moments to be judging other people about what their sin is. We should just be like, okay, what I have in common with this person is that they need Jesus too. And this is what Paul was preaching, that two people from two different backgrounds, from two different sects would come together to create this multi-ethnic, multi-generational, and multicultural church. And isn't that what you guys are doing right here at City Life in the city of Houston? I want you to take a moment to look around this room to see all the people who don't look like you, who may not think like you, who may not act like you, but you're all here for this one reason because of this thing called the gospel. And because of what Paul was preaching then, somehow it's made its way here to the States in this church, and you guys gave me an inspiration to plant this church too as well. Because I want to say this, for some of you in here who may not have been going to this church for long, you are sitting in the seat of somebody else's sacrifice. Because I remember when there was no building, I remember when it was only the movie theater and the elevator wasn't working and people were crying to try to set stuff up. But y'all trusted and believed in God. And I remember coming to this building and seeing all the scriptures and names that were written beyond all of this painting. And I said, God, if you can do it here in the city where I'm from, you can definitely do it in the city of Austin. See, the city of Austin right now is one of the fastest growing cities in the United States with over 113 people moving there a day. The city was built for 200,000 people. There is 2 million people in Austin right now, which by that rate means by 2040, there will be 4 million people in a city that was built for 200,000 people. So when you calculate all of those numbers, what that means is for every 4,000 people, there are only four churches, which means the city of Austin needs more churches. 50% of the people who live within our five-mile radius downtown say that they don't even believe in God. And of the other 50% of the people who say that they believe in God, Christianity is actually the lowest. And so we took a research study, and that research study told us that the number one issue in Austin is not racial issues, although the city is racially divided, and you can see it when you go through it. It's not political issues, even though it's the state capital. The number one issue in the city of Austin is hopelessness. So how can people from all over the world come to this place thinking that they're going to have fun, thinking that they're going to get a new job, thinking that they're going to have good relationships, only come here and be hopeless? It's because they don't have Jesus. So this is why we say as our mission statement that we are a diverse people who find life in Christ, which means that we're a people from every background, from every color, from every nation, from every social economic status who are coming together to find life in this Jesus. And the reason why we say find life in Jesus is because the gospel keeps transforming our lives. So it doesn't matter if you don't know Jesus or you've been walking with him for 50 plus years. There is more of the life of Jesus that you can have in your life. The only way you can stop having the life of Jesus is if you cut him off. And we want all that Jesus has. And we believe this scripture to be true, that the Bible says that Christ in us is the hope of glory. We're not asking God to come down. We're asking God to come out of us and bring that life to other people, to bring hope to the hopeless. So when we tell people our vision statement, which means the city needs what you have, 
is that we have something inside of us to give to these people who are hopeless. And we will use every gift and every talent and everything that we have to make a difference in our city. So if we see something wrong in our communities, it's our jobs because we have Jesus. If we see something wrong in our church, it's our job because we need we have Jesus. If we see something wrong in our schools, we have Jesus. We can give that off. And so I want to say, if you are complaining about what this church is, you're the answer to it. Everything that you see in this church that you like, God lets you participate in. And everything that you don't like, it's because you're not participating to make a difference. And so I'm calling all of us to be and do what this Bible says is to create this multi-ethnic, multi-generational church that will change the city of Houston. And you guys are doing that. So I plead with you to continue to be this type of spiritual family and bring the gospel to everyone who is in need of it. Amen? And last but not least, God's righteousness gives us a new future. See, you and I can rest assured in the midst of our diversity, in the midst of the tension that we have, that one day that God is going to come back and redeem everything that he created. And that gives us a really good type of hope because God is going to eradicate all evil. Now, the problem is, is that evil lives inside of us, which means that he will have to eradicate all of us. But for some odd reason... That didn't stop Paul from preaching the gospel. And this is the reason why, because true hope never keeps us stagnant. True hope always pushes us forward. See, Paul didn't look at like the world was going to a hell in a handbasket. He said, I know Jesus is tur- he's coming back, and I want to play a part in his mission. I want to get involved in what Jesus is doing. I want to be a part of that glorious return, because he knows that there is a new city and a new Jerusalem that's coming and that we can actually do what the Bible says, that that kingdom will come, that their will will be done here in Houston as it is in heaven. And we believe that in Houston, we believe that in Austin, and we believe that around the world. And so my prayer today is that you would truly see that the gospel is for everybody, and you would extend the grace that God has graciously given you. Amen? All right, let's go to the Father now in prayer. Dear God, I thank you that you are good. And your goodness actually shows us who we are not, and it is actually your grace. So I pray that people would not feel condemned, but they would feel love. They would feel love that you would shine your light on them. You actually say that the righteous you test, but the wicked you leave alone. God, thank you for not leaving us alone. Thank you for loving us and I don't want to move from this moment, and I want to give someone the opportunity to truly receive Jesus. I'm not talking about receiving a church or receiving religious duties. I'm talking about the one who wants a relationship with you, whether you do anything for him or not. And so if there's anybody here in the room today who's tired of being perfect, who's tired of trying to earn God's affection, who's tired of trying to earn the affection of people, you say, I want Jesus. I want the real Jesus, not the Jesus um, the world tries to make me do, my family or whatever, but the real Jesus. I pray that right now, with every eye closed, that you would just raise your hand, if that's anybody. Praise God, heaven is rejoicing over your hands. I want everybody in the room to repeat after me as we receive these hands into our new spiritual family. Say, dear God, I know that my sin 
this not just make me a bad person, but it has broken relationship with you. And today, I want a real relationship with you. So God, I exchange my flawed being for your purpose, righteousness. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. Now, for the rest of us, we may very well be in right relationship with God, but the cross is not just vertical. There's a horizontal piece to it, too, as well. God doesn't just reconcile us to be reconciled with him. He wants us to be reconciled with his church, which is other people. And after listening to today's message, after you examine your words, after you examine your actions, and after you examine your thoughts, you need God's righteousness to purify you in the way that you think. That there may be a friend that you need to reconcile with. There may be a coworker that you need to reconcile with. There may be a family member that you need to reconcile with. And yes, I know that they probably hurt you, but you can't worry about what they did. You're responsible for yourself. Or there's somebody in the church you need to reconcile with. If that's you and you're saying, God, I want you to continue to purify my heart, my words, my deeds, and my actions, would you just raise your hand? That's me as well. Dear God, you see these hands, and we are thankful that we can come to you in complete confidence, knowing that you are not afraid of our sin, but you're the one who purifies it and perfects it as we continue to walk with you. So God, change our words. Dear God, change our thoughts. Dear God, change our actions that it would reflect you. And then out of that, God, that we will begin to live out the entirety of the gospel, building this multi-ethnic, multicultural, and multi-generational church right here in the city of Houston. In Jesus' name, thank you that the gospel is for everyone. Amen.